Which one was the ghost and which one was the darkness? I think the one that died first was the darkness. Or maybe he's the ghost because he's dead. Hey, this is David, and welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. And this is Alon, and I finally watched The Ghost in the Darkness. So, The Ghost in the Darkness is um, another movie in our Nostalgia November series. Uh, this is a movie that I discovered because my grandfather, who lived in Maryland, used to come down all the time and visit us, and he would bring these like VHS tapes where he ripped movies off of like TV. I thought you were going to say he ripped movies like commentary destroyed them in front of you. <laughs> no. And so he would, he would like put these movies on VHS and I don't know how he did it, but like he would cut out all the commercials if there were any. And some of them he would probably do it from channels that would just show them straight without commercials. Um, and this is one of them. And it got to the point where I would watch it every time he came down that he just kind of let me have it. And so I watched it tens and 20 like you know 30 or 40 times when i was a kid and then bought the dvd when those came out and it's just like it's one of my favorite movies and um you know i haven't probably watched it in maybe a decade or more but it still is always one that stuck with me um just because i love the setting of it i think the acting is really cool i think the story is really cool um i mean you know if you were in a pitch meeting and someone said you know jaws but lions, and there's two of them. I mean, you know, who's pretty? Who, who says no? Yeah, that that pretty much sums it up. It's funny too because you told me the IMDb description of this, which was like two hunters protect a construction site from lions, which sounds like the most like boring shit ever. Like they're setting up fences the whole time. <laughs> it doesn't describe this movie in a very just way. That that description. Um, but what I found, and I, and I you know, ended up really liking this film. But it is a very, like, grandfather film. Like, the fact that your grandfather showed this to you makes perfect sense. Because it's like, it's. I feel like it's one of those films that is good in, like, when it was made and could be made with no problem. But nowadays, having, like, a Caucasian savior amongst the African people would like pose a problem for a movie. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I think the defense of this would be that it's just, it's a true story. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so it's like, I mean, there's some other issues. I think if, you know, nowadays people would, uh, the presentation of the, the white people coming in to the English coming in to build bridges and, um, and save Africa. Uh, the, you know, Tom Wilkinson kind of opens this movie up as like the guy that's hiring Val Kilmer, uh, William Patterson to build this bridge. And uh, his line is like, we're going to build this bridge in order to save Africa from the Africans and end slavery. And he's already an asshole, but it's like, just in case for some reason you liked him as an asshole, like, let me just tell you, like, that line is like, no, he's not. He's not a good person. Right. But then you learn like how they're going to do that. And it's just basically um, to support and like fast track the ivory trade, which it's like people are already going to be against that. You know, right. I mean, the whole, the whole movie is about colonization, but they sort of skip dealing with that part to just tell this amazing true story. And we will get into kind of the parts that aren't true and, and are. But I think because 
the story is based mostly in fact, and it is such an amazing story that I think you can look past the fact that they don't deal with the elements that you really should deal with in like a historical movie that takes place at this time. Um, and so, you know, for that, I, you, you know, if it is a grandfather film, uh, yeah, that's fine with me because I still love it. No, but you um, know what I mean? Like, it's not a bad movie by any means. I, it's really good. I enjoyed it. But it, it just really reminded me of one of those films that's like, like, come here, sonny boy. Let me show you a, a great flick. And it's, it would be this. Right. And I, I do also want to bring up, um, just like kind of going chronologically, I also love the uh, further, you know, how Tom Wilkinson in the beginning is the, the guy that's hiring Val Kilmer. And he, uh, he like goes on to say like, you know, Val Kilmer's like, oh, well, you know, you think I won't be able to build this bridge in time, da, 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 but you've hired me and I have a kid coming. And so, you know, I will get this done because I never, you know, I said, I'll be back and I never break my promises. And I love that Tom Wilkinson's just like, you know, uh, that's very touching, but I don't give a shit about your upcoming litter. I just want my bridge built. Um, like that whole scene. So I started watching this a couple weeks ago because I knew we were going to do it. I knew I was going to choose this movie. And something came up and I really just got to watch part of that scene. I was like, no, I don't really like, I don't really like that opening scene. I really just like want them to get to Africa. And I was like, kind of drags a little bit. But when I actually sat down and just watched the whole thing through, I was like, that scene's so brief. And it's kind of necessary too, because it, it sets up the stakes for Val Kilmer, but it also sets up a little bit who he is. Exactly. Because, you know, uh, Wilkinson is just the complete asshole. His name's Beaumont in the movie. Um, and, you know, Val Kilmer just comes back to him and is like, you know, you hired me because of my record, you know what I can do. And then he also then is like, do you have any other words of encouragement? And Beaumont just is kind of, kind of a little bit stunned, a little bit like impressed. And then he's like, all right, well, I'm going to leave, you know, and heads out. Yeah. And that's like, it's like two minutes and then, you know, we're in Africa. Yeah. I mean, always whenever you rewatch something, I feel like you always think of like the, the beginning or whatever the slow part might be is always longer in your head than what it actually is. Well, what's, what's interesting about Tom uh, Wilkinson is that I only know him from Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins right um you know he plays you know the gangster uh maroney i think um he's really good at playing the bad guy and although he's not like the main antagonist of the movie he's definitely like he's offset by val kilmer's charm so matt so much that the whole point of it i don't think was to hate Tom Wilkinson's character, but it was to like really fall in love quickly with Val Kilmer's character. Right. And I mean, Tom Wilkinson's been a bunch of stuff. So he's given such a, like a little small cameo part, but he does so much with it. Like his, every line he gives is like the best you could say that line. Um, so yeah, he's, he does set it off well. And you know, it's a, it's a quick exposition this movie overall is actually kind of just, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's an epic film. Yeah. Like with, it's like grandly shot. There are like, the music is really great and like sets the tone for being in Africa. Um, but it's like an hour and 45 minutes, uh, which we'll get into why later. And so, you know, it's very brisk and like getting to the point. Um, 
and you know, I like that about it. And you like, you're even also to further set up Val Kilmer's character, you meet his wife, who's played by Emily Mortimer, which by the way is her first role ever, which I thought really? was pretty cool. Yeah. Huh. And I also like to further date this movie uh, before, like, you know, before we picked apart movies for not being, you know, woke enough or whatever she like takes the blame for getting pregnant and like almost ruining his Africa trip. And then it's like, I really hope it's a boy because clearly that's what you want. Uh, like those parts kind of, like they're not actually, they don't come across that way, but like that is a way you could obviously take those. Um, it, Emily Mortimer is like, I think she's highly underrated. Um, she's like a treasure. That's that's how I feel when I see her in movies. It's like, oh, she's a treasure. No, yeah, she's great. She is. See, this movie was made in 1996, and if it was made today, I wouldn't have any question to like, oh, how they did this or how they did that. This movie is like 24 years old. So, and you, you I know you have a lot of knowledge of this movie. So, I think mainly I'm going to be asking you questions um about like how they did things and production and whatnot um so i'll I'll just kind of open open the table here is how they do the lions david because the lions were very cool so the the lions were real okay um i read up on it so i guess they used an animatronic lion once and i don't even know when that would have been i didn't notice it even like i read it before i watched it again and i i did not notice that part of it although maybe it would be pretty obvious if i tried again um, so the lions are like show lions and I think they're in Georgia, the jungle from what I remember reading. Um, so they're just lions, And like, when you know that they're real lions, if you watch it back, I don't say, I wouldn't say it ruins it, but you are like then looking for how they did certain shots. Like when you see a lion running after someone, you're like, okay, well, this was just like a trick, like, you know, a command that they were given to run in the same direction as this person. Right. Um, and the way things are cut, you know, they don't, I actually think I know the animatronic part was there's a, there's a lion claw that comes out and grabs a dude at one point. So That's that was right. probably it. Um, but yeah, overall, so for the most part, besides that, they're just real lions being shown um, doing tricks. There, there's one shot that was quite obvious to me, like the lion ran and then pounced and just like jumped on top of a guy and ate him. And I, the way it was just kind of shot and like the ethereal way it looked to me like a green screen, like they set up some sort of like meat stick or something, had the, had the lion jump and then they just like took out the meat stick and put like green screen to person there. At least that's how I would have thought it would have been done. Is, this, is that how you would have done it? That's how I would have done it. Uh, yeah. But you know which one part I'm talking about? It's like he just jumps like full into a crowd and just like takes a guy. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so there's so many of those. Um, but it's like, it, you know, not that I'm like going to defend this movie the whole time because I don't really think you're attacking it. But <laughs> it, I think it all worked pretty well for me. The no, lines, I did. I, I, I'm not attacking it. Not yet. But um, yeah, that part with the lions, I thought was incredibly done. So well, and they also they get right to the lines, which I was talking about earlier with like the way the movie is paced. Like you're in England, set up a story a couple of minutes, show him getting to Africa, 
he meets Angus Starling, his like ward who's going to help him out. He takes him to meet Samuel, who's also going to help him out. Then they meet the doctor and they're like, oh yeah, there was a lion attack. And he's like, all right, well, I got to sort it out. And exactly like Jaws, he kills a lion, but that wasn't the lion. Right. Right. I, yeah, I like the setup too of the story. Uh, once again, super quick, but just like, you know, they had Indian workers there that were brought in. They had African workers there. Yeah, like funny. different religions and stuff. Yeah, and they were talking about how like the Indians hate the Africans. No, the Africans hate the Indians. The Indians hate the Africans, and the Indians hate other Indians, like because there's Muslim Indians and Hindu Indians. Right. Um, like the whole like, you know, they could have gotten a little bit more into the like geopolitical landscape of this place, but they just cover it very quickly. And they also introduce like probably a, two of my favorite characters in the beginning, uh, Mahina, which is like the African guy that killed a lion with his bare hands. Right. Like such a just such a badass dude. Although when you look at him, like he's kind of tall, but he's also pretty skinny. So it's like, is it, that you know. a true story? Maybe. Well, not. so getting into the research now, uh, Mahina in real life is actually like a ten-year-old Indian boy that carried William Patterson's gun around. Okay. So I don't know why they was he one of the was, first ones to die. I don't. Yeah, I don't know that part. I don't know uh, if he died at all. So one of my favorite characters, like right off the bat for me, was Angus. And uh, I guess we're just going to jump right into like, you know, what happens in the story. So go watch it. But I was so sad when he died, man, because I was like, I really, really liked his character. No, yeah, I think he, he is a, for having like the exposition done so quickly, he is a great character and you have the scene where he's talking about he wants to uh christianize the entire continent of africa he's like i just have a little dream of uh converting the entire continent yeah um and then he's like but now i've changed it to just going for you know samuel and and uh patterson i called him william but it's john which is i don't know why i made that mistake but anyway val kilmer um and uh the like the jokes of he's like well I'm a, you know, I'm a, my wife is Roman Catholic and I'm a Protestant. <laughs> and Samuel's like, I have four wives. Good luck. Like they, they set him up so quickly. And then his death is like, you know, cause like you said, they're using real lines. They're limited by the time of how do you make this look real and, you know, hold up. But at the same time, it's like, you're not really going to be able to show a lot of death. And so you kind of have to do it in unique ways. But yeah, his death is very impactful. Yeah, I mean, especially like Val Kilmer's reaction to his death. He just like started praying right there and then. And it's the weirdest prayer too, because the prayer is like um, scripture from the Bible. But it's about lions, which I was like, bro, maybe like not the time. Too soon? Yeah, too soon. Well, but he's dead. What's he's? I don't think he's, dead. <laughs> he's just send him off. Um. So, but you you were saying that you have like things to say about Val Kilmer like being cast in this. I I thought it was really great the casting as far as you know the main characters go, except it did like take me aback because I I I knew Michael Douglas was in this movie, but I'm like. But why Michael Douglas? Especially another Michael Douglas character 
who's like living in a foreign country yet so cozy with the natives. Like, I feel like that's just his niche, you know? Yeah, I think he's more cozy with the natives in this than Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile. Um, he, it, he works amongst the natives in Romancing the Stone. I don't know if they necessarily like him being there. True. Um, <clears throat> so I guess we can get into this part and get back to the movie. Um, but real quick, though, I will say that Mahina's death really struck with me or struck me and stuck with me um, just because and they, they do come out and sort of paint it on real thick like he was you know he was the strongest of us and so his death was impactful like I don't know I almost wish they hadn't told us that because it's like kind of obvious from seeing it happening that the strong like he was the strongest and so his death would be affect them because if he can die any of us can die right but the way the doctors like the lion uh, licked his skin off while he was alive yeah and drank his blood and he was just like lions don't do that uh yeah that like as a child that really gets to you like as a <laughs> 10 or 11 year old you're like holy fuck they can do that well i mean and i i know we're, we're kind of like dissecting it in kind of a weird way here but apart from like apart from that and lions don't do this another lions don't do this moment would be the cave or like the lion's lair with all the skeletons in it like that was nuts. That was crazy. And that's real too. So not the, not the skeleton. Well, <laughs> they didn't, I don't think those would be real skeletons. <laughs> but the lions had a cave with skeletons like that in it. And I guess it was found at the time, just like in this movie. Yeah. And then it was lost for a long time. And then they found it again. And there was some like historical fight over whether that was the real one. But yeah, that was actually like a true part that they had this cave with all these bones. So to the casting, and my favorite one that I, and I read this a while ago before we even talked about doing this, but originally Brian De Palma was going to direct this. Okay. And it was going to star Kevin Costner in the Val Kilmer role. And oh. the, mov the movie that uh, was released by De Palma right before this was Bonfire of the Vanities which is widely considered probably his worst movie and was like a commercial failure. And so the studio <laughs> basically took back the part, like took back the, the offer from him. And then Kevin Costner went on to do the bodyguard instead. So this was almost a De Palma movie, which would have been really interesting. And obviously he's gone on to do stuff since this, since then that people like. So, um, and he's like have so many he has so many classics i mean because right before this i think right before this was untouchables or you know was in in the in touch the untouchables is in like late 80s early 90s so um that one would have been interesting and then they also originally thought about getting kenneth Branagh to direct this okay which i thought would have been cool too because he's obviously a great director so the the michael douglas part is really interesting so this movie was produced by Michael Douglas. I saw that. And so originally they offered this part to Sean Connery and Anthony Hopkins, who both turned it down. Okay. Paramount apparently at one point wanted Tom Cruise to star in it. And he okay. said no. Okay. As the Michael Douglas part, which to me, I really love Tom Cruise movies. That part, that makes no sense to me. Well, because especially back then, Tom Cruise would have been incredibly young, like way younger than Michael Douglas. 
Right. But yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think, like, if this was based off of a true story, how accurate is this character? Well, we'll get to that after we get the last little bit of... Okay, okay. okay. All right, go ahead. Because they also then wanted uh, Gerard Depardieu, but at the time, they were considering casting him and offering him the role. Michael Douglas' producer was just like, you know what? I know a guy who could do this role. Michael Douglas. <laughs> And so he basically just kind of cast himself. And then that kind of caused uh, a riff with the director, which we can get in a little bit too, because that actually really like eventually has an effect on the story. Um, okay. Well, because that's, that's really weird to hear because you have to take into consideration that Sean Connery is, I believe, Scottish. Uh, Gerard Depardieu is French. <laughs> and Michael Douglas is as American as he can get. Well, Anthony Hopkins is English, right? I mean, yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying, like, but in in real life, what the hell was this guy? So in real life, he wasn't real. Oh, so he's based off a famous hunter. I don't remember the name because it's obviously not important. Um, uh, and by the way, Anthony Hopkins is Welsh. My apologies. Um, but it's based off a famous hunter, and so the the guy who wrote this, William Goldman, uh, added he wanted to add in that character just sort of as like not a foil, but basically just kind of to make up the story like a little greater, um, and kind of to you know set him, you know, have this juxtaposition between Val Kilmer's character and this famous hunter and how like it makes it even more amazing that uh, Patterson killed these lions by himself. Cause in real life, Patterson just killed both lions. Right. Without any help. Um, and William Goldman, by the way, wrote all the president's men, the princess bride, which Cassidy and the Sundance kid. So, um, you know, well, you know what I found interesting is that the director of this movie, Stephen Hopkins, this was like his biggest movie. Right. And and everything else before that was like uh, a nightmare on Elm Street 5 or like Predator 2 or, you know, don't give two shits about. And then the only other thing that I would say would like put him on the map is after this movie, he did Lost in Space. Right. But I don't even think it's the good Lost in Space. And he's... What's the 1990? It's the 1998 Lost in Space. Is that the good one? It is. Right. So, I mean, he is, uh, I guess he did, he's mostly doing produce, you know, he mostly produces now. So, yeah, this was like, you know, this, the, the thing is, you know, to get a little bit more into the research, because I think this movie is so interesting. So, apparently... Michael Douglas was not happy that he was not in as much as this movie as he should have been. Okay. So originally this movie was 45 minutes longer, but with Michael Douglas basically coming in at the same time. Um, And so after uh, Hopkins, the director, Hopkins, not Anthony Hopkins, we were talking about earlier, (laughs) but after Stephen Hopkins did his cut of the movie, it was around two and a half hours, I would assume, Michael Douglas came in and cut it down to an hour, 45 minutes. And what's funny too, is when I was watching this before I looked anything up, there's points in the movie where 
the first guy gets attacked, right? Right. Then Mahina gets killed. Yep. Then the next time they're talking, they're like, 30 people have been killed. Yeah. I think he says that to Beaumont when Beaumont shows up, maybe. He does, yeah. And then when Michael Douglas shows up, 40 people have been killed. And we don't see any of those. 50, actually, right? Because then there was a jump to like 100. Um, and you have to assume time passed. But, you know, my biggest question to you about the movie, and, and I guess you could call it like my second biggest gripe about the movie, is Michael Douglas being like on the, uh, like the marquee of this film next to Val Kilmer but coming in at like the 45 minute marker with only like, what, like another 45 minutes left. So basically half of this movie, right? Um, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I don't think it's executive decision levels of like, you know, bait and switch marketing. Cause he's in a big chunk of the movie. And honestly, as far as like memorable characters from this movie, he, I think is the one that sticks with you. I think he's got the coolest lines. His like, his just energy from the movie, I think, is the best. Yeah, I mean, he um, usually he usually brings that sort of thing anyway. Right, I mean, he's peak fucking Michael Douglas in this movie. And like, I I don't have a problem with him shoehorning himself in. I also would like pay a tidy sum of money for the two hour thirty minute cut of this movie. I'd be very interested to see that. So, um, so let me ask you. Let me ask you. Um, let me. I want to see your 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 cost. If you could see the whole uncut version of this movie. A thousand dollars? Yeah, way over a thousand dollars. Really? Yeah, a thousand dollars easy. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. See, for me, I would have been cut off at like two hundred. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not as important to you. That's, um, true. That's true. But yeah, and then also, uh, so the director is like, was really pissed about the cutting of it, um, and then the writer, uh, <laughs> William Goldman, in his book, basically said that uh, Douglas's decision to like make himself more at the forefront of the story was like he was disappointed in it and he said it made him a wimp and a loser because Goldman really wanted there to be a mystery about who Michael Douglas's character was and like where he came from and Douglas kind of like changed a lot of that to give himself a backstory about how his family had been killed and how because of that he you know just went around the world hunting you know big game and I guess, taking on these assignments where he needed to kill something that was, you know, whatever, like these lions. Um, right. I don't think, like, there's still a lot of questions about Michael Douglas's character. I really think the biggest hole is the jump in the amount of kills. When I was originally watching it and I didn't know the backstory, I was like, I kind of like it. Because it is, in 1996, how, how well are you going to be able to show these lion killings you know what i mean we've talked i mean from what they what they have shown is pretty pretty cool um let's just get back to the plot real quick but but, but, but really but really quick i thought it was impactful to you see this one guy get killed and the next time you talk about it you're like oh you know they showed a guy getting killed whatever and they talked to Beaumont. he's like 30 men are dead you're like holy shit you know what i mean like i think it does work a little bit on that level but as i've said you know i'll i will send money by Venmo to whoever has. <laughs> Give me the Hopkins cut right now. Well, okay, here's the strange thing too, is that the scene in the hospital where the lions just go freaking ham in the hospital. Right. That 
is so chaotic. Right. But I th- to, to your point where things are kind of like maybe missing from the movie, and maybe this is just like a, a artistic decision, but when Val Kilmer told Samuel and the doctor, hey, stay in your tents no matter what, and then the doctor's like, that's my hospital. I have to protect it. And, and I don't know if I blinked or if it actually just happened that quick, but the next thing you know, that doctor is dead. Yeah, I mean, they didn't. They just didn't show it. I'm curious, like, was that like a, we shot it a couple ways and they just showed him dead at the end? I don't know. Yeah, they don't show his death. Well, like, growing up and now, that's that whole scene is my favorite. Them cleaning up the hospital and then, like, all right, you know, Michael Douglas coming in, full Michael Douglas, like, I don't smell any blood in here. There's no scent. You know, the lines, you know, just his, like, his line delivery is great. And then the music playing as they open up the old hospital and they're spilling blood everywhere and throwing animal parts, like, and just yeah, the music just being pumped in, like that whole part is great. And then it, it, it's kind of interesting too, because you paint, Michael Douglas is painted as like this mastermind of like these big game animals and how to hunt them and how they think. Right. He, he makes like one of the biggest, it's not a mistake. I guess it just kind of goes to show you like, how intelligent these lions are, or at least how they're being portray- portrayed in this movie. Right. Um, but yeah, that scene is so, so amazing. It's crazy. Um, it, it's, it's nuts. Uh, going, going back to the plot of the film, though. Oh, yeah. You want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's sent there to Savo to build a bridge. And I am embarrassed to say that it took me to the very end of the movie where you kind of showed like a, a portrait of the bridge being completed to, for me to finally connect that it's not a walking bridge, but a bridge for a train. <laughs> I was like, why are all this fuss about a walking bridge? They're on like a little rope bridge, like 90% of the time anyways. And I was like, that oh, water's sh- not moving that fast. They could make it across. <laughs> yeah, I was like, they don't want to get their shoes wet, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know what I was thinking, but making it for the train makes so much fucking sense. Well, they also uh, are talking in the beginning. Samuel's like, yeah, the lead team on the other side is doing two miles of track a day. I didn't know what that meant, though. Like, I took it out of context. Like, they're walking uh, they're- two miles a day. <laughs> yeah, I was like, a light, what? Leisure, a light leisurely pace. They take many breaks. They uh, on the other side of that river, there's a track team, and they're just running two miles a day on their track. No, I don't know, man. I just to see it and to see the the train go over it or paint it over it. I was like, oh, okay, that makes so much sense. Another character introduced in the beginning we haven't talked about yet, but uh, Abdullah, uh, yeah, is probably my second favorite. Of like the side characters, obviously. Um, and to your point about like the white saviorness of this movie, I love in the beginning when he's yelling at him, and uh, you know, uh, Val Kilmer's like, you know, I will sort it out and I will build the bridge, and starts walking away. And Abdul is like, "Of course you will. You're white. You can do anything." <laughs> uh, <laughs> like that, that. Like that relationship is really cool, and it's also like from Abdullah's perspective, like a lot of people are dying and like you're not able to do anything about this so I was, to, I was trying to understand how many people did the lions kill before val kilmer showed up 
I don't think any, which I think is, is one of the reasons that right when Michael Douglas shows up, um, you know, Abdullah and a bunch of people are surrounding Val Kilmer and Val Kilmer's like, you need to watch yourself. And Abdullah's like, no, you need to watch yourself. These lions didn't start attacking until you showed up. Like you're the, you know, like you're the one who brought these lions. And like, it kind of looked like they were going to kill him. <laughs> like that this was going to turn into a mob. Well, what was so crazy is that at the beginning when he, when he one shot KO'd that lion, um, he was like the savior. He was like, oh, uh, the white lion killer. Ooh, you're a lion killer. And then he like failed to save one guy and everyone's like, all right, go fuck yourself. Get out of here. It's like, wow, that, that, that uh, level of stardom really died down fast. I also always, and like, I've shown this movie to a few people, but all the time I'll just say, like, I'll scream out, one shot, one shot, <laughs> for no reason. Wait, is that a the Ghost in the Darkness reference, or is that a Hamilton reference? Yeah, I mean, it's both. It's both. Stolen, it's definitely stolen from this. Um, this is my go-to for references. Um I, I, I do agree with you too. You know, you talk about how Michael Douglas comes into this movie like with only 45 minutes left and then, spoiler alert, doesn't make it for the last five to eight minutes of this movie. Which is insane to me also. Cause I, I, but I guess like, first of all, I was wondering why they chose to do that in the sense that like, yeah, it's based off of a true story, so maybe that is actually exactly how it happened. Obviously not, since Michael Douglas's character is made up. But also for the for the fact that it's like he just killed one of the lions, so I took it as like a, a symbolic reasoning to be like, well, you killed one of my friends, so I'm going to kill your friend, right? Well, they build it up too, like the. As, as I keep saying, so Michael Douglas's character has like all these cool quotes and cool stories. And the story about the two bullies as they're walking up to the cave is, is like really cool. <laughs> when I watched this as a kid, I just envisioned a Christmas story. The two <laughs> bullies from a Christmas story, like you, you had one and then the other and one was bigger. Actually, uh, I took it, I, I thought of Stand By Me, the bullies from Stand By Me. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and just so you know they kill one of them and i love the scene afterwards when they're when they're drinking wine and they're just so happy and like the you know and then they hear you hear the lion roaring off and they're like uh they start laughing more and sam was like what are you laughing about and he's like well he's just like one of those bullies now sam was probably over there like what the fuck are you talking about what what does that even mean <laughs> why do you do this why do you not explain things to me uh actually one of my you know um i think my favorite character was Sam. Um, I mean, apart from Angus, maybe, but Sam, I felt like was not very well utilized in this movie. I feel like there was a lot of moments where, where he could have used him more. But as far as like the support for the main character, I thought he was very well done. He's actually the main comic relief in this movie. And he has the driest like line readings and sense of humor my, yeah. I, I love in the beginning when he's like, uh, you really love your wife. And Val Kilmer's like, I do. And he's like, I don't like any of mine. Because <laughs> you, <laughs> you find out he has four wives. And then my favorite part is uh, 
Michael Douglas, like, you know, I'm very considerate. My mother raised me that way. And Samuel starts laughing. He's like, what? You don't think I'm considerate? He's like, I don't think you had a mother. A mother, yeah. (laughs) That's good. The way Michael Douglas died, where you don't see a body, and it's just like all this blood splatter amongst this, like, um, light brown grass. And it's just red. And he walks into it. Val Kilmer does. And it's like, it's kind of cool. Like, it's kind of a cool way to die in such a, I mean, it's Michael Douglas, so I guess he maybe made it that way. But he just kind of disappeared into like a mist of blood. That's how I took it. The showing of that, because once again, they're not, you know, that death needs to kind of be a little epic. And there's really no way to do that if you're using real lines. And so the way of just showing it afterwards and then discovering this vast, like, yeah, it's kind of like a grain field or a wheat field. It's not like being grown on purpose, but it's just this like prairie almost. Um, and just having him amongst these, like, you know, amongst this with the blood everywhere, just like in a huge like circle and then they don't show the body. Like it's very impactful. And then the way the, the music comes in and then him pulling the fire to, and like starting to set everything ablaze. Yeah. yeah like that, uh, you know, was just epic to me. Like they're trying to make it like build this up and then to the last lion scene, you know, where he, he meets the last lion on the bridge. Yeah. Before we get to that, there are two other scenes that I really like. One really quickly. I love the contraption he builds with the, uh, with the two sticks and the other two sticks that hold up a plank. Oh, that contraption. Yeah, we'll talk about the other one too. So I guess there's three scenes. Okay, okay. The thing I love about it is, um, one, Michael Douglas's line about how, like, I think they're after you, so that's why we're doing this. And, uh, you know, his, <laughs> and he was like, he's like, you know, I think this will keep us safe. And Michael Douglas is like, oh, I have no doubt, because I'm not going to be on it. <laughs> Well, yeah, one of my favorite lines from Michael Douglas is, I'm going to be in a tree far away from you, and I'm going to be too far away to help you. Right. I love the view of the, it's almost like an infrared view of the lion looking up at Val Kilmer on the plank. Yeah, they switch to this, like, almost like fish islands, with, and it's all black and white. It's kind of crazy. There's, yeah, there's nothing else in the film like it, <laughs> but it was, like, just for this one part. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. The other scene I like is when they surround the thicket with the Maasai warriors, Michael Douglas and Samuel and Val Kilmer. And the way it's shot and you, the way Val Kilmer's gun doesn't work and like the, I think the Val Kilmer's character in this is super subtle, like his acting. Right. And I think that's the biggest like example of it is this scene where you can just, you can see it on his face, like what has happened to him and he plays it so well. And I love the uh, the Michael Douglas afterwards, like, you know, in, in prize fighting, we got to, you know, when you've been hit, like, you've just been hit. So it's like, you have to decide how you react to this, which I think is like a Mike Tyson line, which, you know, whatever, <laughs> like that they stole from the future, if this was like a real story. But no, like that part is really, really cool. And then the last thing to think you, what you thought I was going to talk about is the contraption where they have the Indian guys in it. Yeah. And what I was reading, a little research I read on that is um, the the way it was written was like a lot of people find that part of it like really hard to believe that you could have like these three or four Indian guys in this cage from point blank range and miss the lion. Yep. In real life, 
it was actually 10 guys with guns in the cage and they all missed it and the line got free. Not even a wound. Didn't and even like, wound it. That's why this legend would be so built up because these lions, if you have a situation like that where you have 10 dudes at point blank that can't kill this thing, like then you're going to think this thing can't die. And there's it, two of them. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of amazing knowing that this is a true story and watching this this movie um it's like is is it honestly like a supernatural thing? You have to believe at one point it it has to be some sort of like um african spirit that's like don't finish the bridge or something. I I really thought this movie was going to end in a certain way where Val Kilmer had a like I guess if this wasn't true or if this was embellished a bit Hollywood style I saw it ending like this he's facing off against the lion on the on the almost finished bridge like he did actually but it ended up in a way where he realized that the bridge would have been used for like bad things and like the greater good would have gotten in the way and he was like it's more important to kill this lion and save these people than to build this bridge. And the only way to kill the lion is to blow up the bridge. So in doing so of like killing the lion and blowing up the bridge, you're kind of saving Africa as a whole anyways. I thought that's how the movie was going to go with a big explosion, lion dying, bridge blowing up. Um, metaphorically, I think that would have worked better, but you can only embellish so much with a, with a true story. And for how it did end, I thought it was kind of lackluster and like, oh, you just, you just shot it at the end. And he, he got chased up a tree. And then, and then he jumped down from the tree and then he had to grab the musket and he had to reload the musket and he had to shoot it and the line bit down, but he didn't bite, bite down on his leg. It was a tree trunk. I know it was cool, but I was like, it built up so big. I was like, I was expecting an explosion. You know what I mean? Right. I'm sorry. I'm an American, David. I want something to go boom. Well, I don't know what to say about that. Um, I think I always loved the ending of this, too. I think Michael Douglas's death is really impactful, and that just directly leads into the ending. Yeah. Um, And I know it's probably a little, like, overly sweet, but I do love, in the end, you know, after everything's all right and they're back on schedule, as they say, that, you know, the new Angus Starling comes in and is like, oh, it's so great to meet you, Mr. Patterson. I really wish I'd been here for the hunt. And just about come like, no, you don't. Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, and then he, he goes and as, uh, as Michael Douglas told him to, he goes and holds his son high. Like, I thought that's a really cool moment just to like. I thought they just stole that from The Lion King. I really did. Um, well, I mean, you know, Samuel actually voiced Rafiki in like the latest Lion King. In like the 2019 one? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, which is really cool. I just like just saw that. Um, so we've basically gotten to the ending of the movie, but I do have a gripe about this movie. As, as great as I think it is, I do have to take a step back and talk about right before Michael Douglas's death. I was thinking, how did no one hear the lions like drag Michael Douglas's character out of his tent like, through the whole skerfuffle and like kill him like a mile away. But 
Val Kilmer was having like a horrible, horrible nightmare. And it was this like really weird scene where it's like they're in the middle of, of the Africa plains. All of a sudden it cuts to the morning and they're back at the construction site and everyone is at the construction site working. And his wife comes with the baby and she's like, tell Patterson his wife, his family is here to see him. And it's like this really like, it wasn't slow-mo, but it was like this ethereal, like running to each other. And he's like trying to get through the crowd. He can't get through the crowd on time. And then the freaking lion shows up and like comes out of left field and eats his wife and son. And during that entire time and the buildup for that scene, I'm thinking, this is a dream sequence. And this is kind of silly. And then he, and then the lion eats the wife and son in front of him. And I, I thought it was just really funny the way it was done. Cause it was like, it was like, um, uh, you know, when one horrible thing happens to someone and it's, it's, it's like, he's done all this just so that the movie could end with his wife and son getting eaten by the lion. <laughs> I was like, obviously a dream, but what a shitty, shitty way to end the movie. Yeah. So, I mean, that scene was very effective on 11 year old David. And I oh, I'm really sure it was. I'm sure it was. The way you're talking about it. I thought it was just really, really silly. That that was my only scene in the movie that I was like, not enjoyed as much as the rest of the movie. I think it's like, I think when the scene starts, you're like, oh, wow. So they just cut to everything's okay. And the workers have all come back, I guess, because one of the lions is dead. And then when his wife is there with the son, I do think you could obviously figure out like, okay, this is probably a dream sequence pretty early on. But I will say like the first few times when I watched this and, you know, I would take a break, you know, cause my grandpa would have, you know, would visit every like, you know, once or twice a year. Um, when that scene starts, you don't really see it coming the first time. Now, I mean, you have 24 years of movie watching that have happened since this came out. So maybe that lends a little bit to why you expected it. Well, I have to say they were really smart about not giving away that it was a dream sequence right off the bat. And I think the most effective way of doing that is starting from her perspective of asking to see Sean Patterson or John Patterson. Right. Um, and starting off in her perspective where she's like, tell him his wife, no, his family is here to see him. <laughs> and it was just smart because i was like oh why would it, if it was his dream why would it be her perspective right and then the to to your other point about why they didn't hear michael douglas i don't know if Sam, they don't show samuel drinking um but val kilmer and michael douglas were both really drunk so one you could say that michael douglas might not have even like woken up that much as he's getting dragged because you know as they show with mahina the lines just drag the person off um and then two, you know, Val Kilmer is wasted. So he, you know, this might've been hard for him to wake up. Like I, I get, I can get having a gripe with that scene. My only gripe with this movie now is just like, there could have been 45 more minutes of it. I, I will say that I, I somewhat think that Michael Douglas may have been a little bit correct in cutting it down and getting him in it. Cause he is one of my favorite parts of the movie. No, no, no. I, I don't think I would have liked this movie as much as I did if it was 45 minutes longer. The fact that it was contained enough to be like an hour and a half and a little plus was like, 
for me, they fit in exactly what they needed to fit in for this story. And I can't really tell you any part that really dragged, you know, everything was pretty clean. Um, as far as pacing goes, I'll go back to the thing where it's like, it was weird that Michael Douglas showed up halfway into the movie. But apart from that, I thought all the information given, what you learn and all the payoff, that was like pretty well done with the time of the movie. So this movie's an hour and 50 minutes. And I feel like if you put it at 2.05, like two hours and five minutes, and you add in just a little bit of the people dying, like 10 more minutes of like people getting eaten in the beginning, like after Mahina, and kind of setting up like that the numbers make more sense. You're, you're just a sadist. You just want to see more people die by Africa. You don't actually get to see them die. You get to see lions jumping at green screens. But I think that would have just meant like that would have made a little bit more sense. Yeah. No, I mean, this was, this was a pretty cool movie. Um, your description of it, you wouldn't tell me much. The IMDb description. I was just kind of not looking forward to see this movie. And then I'm sitting there watching it and I was like, all right, I'm in it. I'm into it now. Yeah, I totally, I totally get it. So I, I did end up really liking it. Actually, one of the things that I liked most about the movie was the set pieces. Like I thought that the train um, going in and out of the construction site full of like people on the side and in the front, I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah. And just the construction site for the bridge, like as a whole, I thought it was really cool. Um, the setup of the tents and then the hospital and then like the thicket fences they built around them. Yeah, and the fires and then that like makeshift gate around the hospital. Yeah, so like set design was really on point with this. And I'm like, oh man, it must have been not design hard because you know it's just like a, a tent and whatever. But knowing the conditions that the people were in, like, whew, that must have been hard. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I really like the movie. Yeah, I think one of my favorite parts of this, and I've said it before, but the the way the music, I think the music is so great in like kind of setting you in this place and it's like very uplifting and then like very like kind of brings you down like when there are people that die. So like, and it's like, yeah, I've never been to Africa, but it like, <laughs> it really brought me into that mindset of like being in this place at this time. And so, you know, as I said, like this is one of my favorite movies growing up and still one of my favorite movies. So I am really glad you enjoyed it. And I, I will add, I really did love the, uh, the beginning of, of um, John Patterson's character of being so like in love with Africa and have these like looking at Africa through these road, rose colored glasses. And then by the end of it, just being like, just go home. Just, I love Africa, but I want to go home. <laughs> right. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched The Ghost in the Darkness.